I, uh, I recall a time of being called up to one of the hospitals in town to visit a fellow who didn't have long to live. Uh, this was an unsettling visit. Uh, the fellow was conflicted. He was tired. He was medicated. And it was all very confusing for the poor fellow. I don't know if there's anything after this life. I don't know if there's a God. I don't know what he thinks of me. I'm just really tired. Why didn't someone talk to me about this earlier? He was agitated. He was troubled. And he was scared. I can recall another occasion being called to the exact same hospital to visit another fellow who also didn't have long to live. This was a much younger man dying in sadder circumstances, really. And yet this visit could not have been more different. Yes, I know there's a God. Yes, I know I'm going to be with him. Yes, I have eternal life. The guy was sad but he was also composed and he was confident and he was calm. Two different fellas, two different ways to end your life. Which of the two do you think you'll be? Will you be at peace or will you be a little panicky? Which one would you like to be? It's a bit of a heavy topic this morning, isn't it? Usually we come to church for a bit of a pep talk and some encouragement. Uh, Not to talk about deathbed experiences, but friends, I'm hoping that this morning it actually will be a bit of a pep talk and a bit of encouragement for you, because this morning's passage is all about being confident that you and God are friends. Today's passage is all about making sure that you really are like that second fellow and that we can be at peace and we can be assured that we have eternal life. In order to see that about this morning's passage, though, because there are some twists and turns to it, I think we firstly need to step back and look at the whole of 1 John to see how it's been fitting together so far because this is a letter that is all about having assurance of eternal life. Uh, John actually said as much in chap- says as much in chapter 5, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. See, this letter is written to people like us, people who believe in Jesus as the Son of God, and it is written to reassure us that we actually do have a life with God beyond this life. And the way that the letter has been doing it so far is by listing off some of the characteristics of the person who does have eternal life. Let me give you an image to sort of keep in mind as to what's been happening so far. Think of an iceberg, okay, floating in the ocean. Here we are. Here's our iceberg bobbing away. Now, the thing about icebergs is that they say, because of the density of water and ice, the thing about icebergs is that 90% of the iceberg is below the surface. In other words, what is above the surface is only a glimmer of the enormous reality that's beneath. The Titanic found this out the hard way. Back in 1 John, though, it's as if in the first couple of chapters, 
which we looked at way back in February, March, in the first couple of chapters, they've described some of the aspects of being a Christian that are above the surface. Some of the aspects that are easy to see in a person's life, such as whether they believe that Jesus is the Christ or whether they're striving to be obedient, taking sin seriously or whether they're loving other Christians. These are all observable things that you can see above the surface in a person's life. But here's the thing. In the last couple of weeks... In chapter 3, the truly spectacular thing that John has been telling us is that all these above-surface things are actually connected beneath the surface by the massive truth that they are characteristics of being a child of God. And when it comes to having confidence with God, when it comes to knowing that you and God are in the same family and that you have eternal life, it's this enormous reality beneath the surface. It's this gigantic truth that is within us. This is the biggie when it comes to having assurance with God. Your family with him. And that's what John now wants to tease out in this morning's passage how the massive truth of being one of God's children gives us confidence with God. Firstly, by giving us confidence that we are with God, and secondly, by giving us confidence that God is with us. Or in the words of John, we are in God and he is in us. Firstly, it's that we are with him. Have a look at verse 19 and the way the passage started. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth. And how we set our hearts at rest in his presence when our hearts condemn us. Now, we're picking things up right off where we left last Sunday. And so that this then, that opens that verse, that's a reference back to what we've been thinking about the last couple of weeks. Those family traits that we have as God's children of doing what is right and loving each other. This then is how we know we belong to the truth. In other words, those family traits of obedience and love, they are how we know that we're on the right track. Remember the iceberg? They are how we know that we're in God's family because they're traits of the child of God. And therefore, that's how our hearts are set at rest. Having those family traits give us a real sense of ease and peace before God. He's our dad. He's lavished his love on us. And so he goes on and says that when our hearts condemn us, Don't be unsettled by that. God knows that we're his child. When our hearts condemn us, when you feel unsettled and unsure and troubled about whether you belong to the truth or whether being a Christian is perhaps a waste of time, uh, John is saying to his readers, no, no, rest assured, settle your hearts. It's worth following Jesus through his death and resurrection on the cross. You guys have become God's children. And it shows in your obedience and in your love. So don't let your hearts condemn you, he's saying. Verse 21, dear friends, and if your hearts don't condemn you, we have confidence with God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. Again, you see, he's talking about being confident with God there in verse 21. And the reason you can have confidence with God, verse 22, is because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. But don't misunderstand that. It's not because keeping God's commands 
earns us a confidence with God, it's because keeping God's commands reflects who we are in God. Remember the iceberg. Keeping God's commands reflects the massive truth beneath the surface that you're one of his kids. Of course you're with God. Of course you can have confidence with him. Of course you can ask him for things. When my kids were growing up uh, and, and young, they'd come and ask for outrageous things. Ponies, castles, trips to Disneyland. They're the sort of requests that simply come from being young and innocent and not really understanding the extent of what you're asking for. But I loved it that they would come and ask me for that sort of stuff. It's a reflection of the intimacy and the, and the love that existed. And that's what exists between us and our Heavenly Father. We have confidence before God. We're his children. He loves us coming to him and asking for things. In fact, verse 22 says that we'll receive from him anything we ask. Now, I don't think that's necessarily the blank check that you might think so at first. I don't think it's saying that absolutely everything we ask for, no matter what, God will give it to us. I'm not sure the pony or the trip to Disneyland is on view here. Later on in chapter 5, John's going to talk about asking for anything according to God's will. And so the context here, remember, is that we're God's children, we're wanting to please God, and therefore we're asking for things that please God. And of course he'll give us that sort of stuff. What parent doesn't give their child good things? What parent doesn't rush to give them helpful things when their kids ask for them? That's the thrust of what's being said here. But it's all got to do with this bigger issue of having assurance that things are okay between you and God. It's all about having the assurance of, of, of eternal life and being reassured that you and God are in the, in the, in the same family. Being confident that you are with God. Verse 24, those who obey his commands live in him. Do you hear the confidence? We live in God. We're with him. And again, it's not because obeying his commands earns it. It's because obeying God's commands reflect who we are. Remember the iceberg? We're his kids. Of course you can have confidence with God. How great is the love of the Father that he's lavished on us, that we should be called his children. That's who you are. So how reassuring is that? John goes on. Because it's not just being confident that we're with God, it's also being confident that he's with us. So you look at verse 24 again. Those who obey his commands live in him, and he in them. This is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Notice the flip in that verse. It starts with that emphasis on us living in God, but then it flips to the other side of the equation of God living in us. Now, I know that can sound a little similar, but, but there's a critical difference. See, it's like a parent and a child holding hands when they're crossing a busy road. It's one thing for the child to hold the parent's hand. It's another thing for the parent to hold the child's hand. But what is really great, when they're both holding each other's hands, that's the best grip of all, that's safety. Well, the sign that you are one of God's kids holding his hand, well, that's that you're obeying his commands. That's what John has said so far. But now for added safety, for added reassurance, 
please know that God is also holding your hand and that he is in you. And how do you know that he lives in you? Verse 24, we know it by the spirit he gave us. And the sign of that is that you believe that Jesus is the Christ. Chapter 4, verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see they are from God. Because remember, many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you recognise the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that doesn't acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. Now, John's mentioned this Antichrist before. He mentioned it back in chapter 2. If you missed that talk, you can catch up with it on the website. The point here, though, is that John is again mentioning it so as to make the point that if you're convinced that Jesus is the Christ, if you believe that Jesus is God's son, come to earth as the rightful ruler of the earth, that's the evidence that God is in you. Because it's only by God's spirit that you'd be able to see that about Jesus. To not believe that Jesus is the Christ, well, as the name implies, that's the spirit of the Antichrist. But, verse 2, this is how you recognise the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, well, that's from God. See, please do not be unsettled by people who tell you that you don't have the Holy Spirit unless you speak in tongues. Or you don't have the Holy Spirit unless you dress a certain way or or that you vote a certain way or that you raise your kids a certain way. Friends, the sign that God's Spirit is in you is whether or not you believe that Jesus is God come to earth. If that's you, if this morning you honestly are convicted by the truth that Jesus is the Christ, John is saying you have God's Spirit at work in you. And therefore, you can have confidence that God is with you. He must be. You have his spirit. How else otherwise would you believe that Jesus is the Christ? This is how you re- recognise, verse 6, the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Roll it all together. It's all fitting into this confidence with God. We can be confident that we are with God because we obey his commands. Because remember the iceberg, that's a sign that you're one of his children. And we can be confident that God is with us because we acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ. Because remember the iceberg again, that's also a sign that you're one of his children. His spirit is within you. And therefore, of course, you have eternal life. Because what you are living out in in your life, your belief in Jesus, your concern for others in this church, your heart's desire not to sin, it is all quite literally the tip of the iceberg. It's all part and parcel of the massive truth within you. You're one of God's children. He's lavished his love on you. Jesus died on the cross for you. You are in God and he is in you. Friends, there's a few twists and turns in this morning's passage But all in all, it's a lovely part of the Bible. As John says to his readers, set your hearts at rest. You belong to the truth. It shows. I hope that's an encouragement for you this morning. 
In fact, I wonder whether or not we could take a leaf out of John's book, as it were, and be an encouragement to each other by better pointing out to each other the sort of things that John is talking about here. Because think about it. John's basically writing to a bunch of Christians he knows, reassuring them that they have eternal life because of what he can see is going on in their life. They're following Jesus. They're loving each other. They're wanting to purify themselves. These are all terrific things John is saying. They're all signs of being one of God's children. I wonder if we also could be better at doing that amongst ourselves, of actually telling each other, when it's true, of course, I'm not saying making this up, but when we can see it, of actually telling each other how great it is when we see these things happening in each other's lives. When we can see someone really making hard efforts to love even awkward people within our church family, of actually saying to them how encouraged we are by that. It's a sign of being one of God's children. When someone actually shares in a growth group or a one-on-one over a cup of coffee that they're struggling with a sin, rather than minimalise it, which we sometimes do, you know, we usually go down the track of, oh, you know, you're not that bad, don't worry, that's understandable, don't beat yourself up. Rather than that sort of response, maybe a better sort of response would be to take it seriously and encourage that person in their desire for purity. To point out, that it's lovely to see them wanting to deal with sin seriously because that's a sign of being one of God's children. Maybe we could be better off encouraging each other when we see someone going through a tough time in their life but they're still hanging in there with Jesus, living with him as their king. It's a sign that they're one of God's children. And that's a great thing to be. It's a great thing to know. Because remember those two blokes at the beginning? The one who was anxious and panicky and the other who was calm and at peace? When the time comes, God wants you to be the second one. God doesn't just want to save you. He wants to save you and he wants you to know that you are saved. He wants you to be assured. He wants you to know that you are his child and that your heart can be at rest in his presence. And if you don't think that's a big deal, this is a bit sort of a bit of a yawn this morning, can I respectfully suggest that you go to a few funerals this week? And I don't mean that in a frivolous or an insensitive way but go to some funerals and listen to the sorts of things people say when they're not one of God's children, but when they're trying to comfort each other in the face of death. God must have wanted one more angel up there with him. He's in a better place now. She's up there looking down at us, smiling. He's probably up there now having a good laugh with his mates and sharing a beer with God. As well-meaning as those platitudes might be, that's not really comfort. But when the God of all the universe, when the God enthroned above the circle of the earth, when he says, 
How great is the love I've lavished on you? You're my children. That's who you are. Rest easy. When the Lord God Almighty says that, that's comfort. I'll pray. Father, thank you for your love towards us. Not only that you love us, but yet you want us to know that we are loved. Father, thank you. Thank you for the enormous intimacy and ease that we have with you as your children. It's not something we deserve, but it's something we humbly accept and are grateful for. Thank you. And help us to look for opportunities to encourage each other with this. Father, just like our dear brother, the Apostle John, help us to look for opportunities to be an encouragement to one another as we urge each other on in our love of each other and in our obedience to you. Amen.